Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. Uh, this is going to be a bit of a shorter, informal weekly podcast, uh, simply because uh, diaries have intruded and it took me until yesterday to be able to watch a replay of the game uh, as I was working when the game was on, as I will be doing for the next two games as well. Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. Anyway, you don't want to hear about me, you want to hear about Arsenal and what uh, observations there may be and also what news there is. Uh, First things first, we returned to competitive football after the international break that was mildly diverting um, to find ourselves away at Bournemouth, which has been a bit of a tricky fixture for Arsenal in recent years. particularly with Bournemouth this season uh, flying high in the Premier League up to sixth place and looking incredibly dangerous on the counter-attack, which is, of course, as we all know, has been Arsenal's Achilles heel for about, well, 13, 14 years. (laughs) Um, And so it works to prove at moments during this game. Uh, Bournemouth started very brightly, um, full of the physical intensity which Unai Emery uh, used it as, as his reasoning for leaving Mesut Ozil out. But after an initial flurry and some pressure and a, and a couple of shots from Bournemouth, although nothing desperately threatening beyond the offside goal, uh, which <laughs> for the second or third game in a row, there was debate about whether it was offside or not. It took about six replays for someone to decide on the channel that I was watching it on that there was a bit of massive miscarriage of justice. Of the first five replays, they all thought it was offside. So I guess that's one that even for VIR will probably be slightly grey. Uh, probably partly confused because the person, uh, Brooks, may have been played onside by a prone person lying on the floor. And it's uh, there is seem to be some confusion in the offside rule about which parts of the body can be used to play someone offside and which can't. Um, that's been a subject for discussion in previous games. I certainly remember that the goal that Lacazette had disallowed against Stoke last season was apparently because uh, some part of his body was a, a few inches offside, um, and there seemed to be some debate over whether that counted or whether the other person's elbow or head or something counted against it. So once again, clarity, clarity, clarity in the rules. Um, Either way, the goal didn't stand, uh, and it was just as well for Arsenal because it allowed us to really get into the game. And and actually, on the balance of first half chances created and promising positions, we really should have been out of sight. As it happened, the goal that we did score was a complete and utter fluke. Uh, Jefferson Lerma, who'd been otherwise fairly physically impressive, as he has been for much of the recent weeks in the Bournemouth central midfield, Tracking back to try and beat an Arsenal on rushing attacker to Kolasinac's somewhat wayward pullback, only to volley the ball with an unerring accuracy and power past his own goalkeeper, which was very welcome indeed. Subsequent to that, then obviously, as is quite often the way with this Arsenal team, the confidence of the team grew and the chances created seemed to step up. And as I said before, we should have scored two or three other chances before half time. Needless to say, uh, as per so much of this season, <laughs> we managed to concede an equaliser just before half-time. And when I say just before, I mean literally seconds before. Um, we overcommitted men in a, an attack from a promising position. The ball was played to Iwobi in a, in a not most intelligent situation. He tried to spin it, uh, lost the ball, and then in the ensuing counter-attack, Bournemouth's incredible pace on the counter really came to the fore, although not all players were busting a gut to get back. (laughs) More on that later. Um, 
and eventually the ball was played out to the right-hand side for Josh King, the uh, ex-Manchester United youth product uh, Norwegian, despite the fact he sounds like he was English, to bend one into the top corner with his weaker left foot from about 15 yards just inside the box. An unerring finish, a fantastic finish. Frankly, a finish better than we've seen from most Arsenal front players in recent recent years. Bit of a sick, sickening sucker-punch goal. But I suppose with Bournemouth having that offside goal disallowed that was borderline and uh, the own goal being the thing that gave Arsenal the lead, I suppose we couldn't complain too much despite the fact we're actually pretty much in control of the game and at that point should probably have scored another. Needless to say, the second half came out and that's been the case often this season. Bar the odd hint of a scare, Arsenal were more in control, stepped up the game a little bit and were more efficient in the way they utilised the ball. And ultimately, about halfway through the second half, uh, after more missed uh, half chances and a decent couple of decent chances missed by Aubameyang, who was starting to get criticised for his lack of impact, immediately then scored a very prototypical Aubameyang goal, really, the sort of thing we saw him score a lot at Dortmund, which is getting there first onto a delivery from wide areas due to his pace and movement in the box. You know, everyone sees this player, this athlete, um, with decent size and great acceleration, and they expect to see another Thierry Henry bursting down the wing and cutting in from the left, um, particularly with him playing on the left. But really, that penalty box poacher is, is what he's all about, and, and that's actually where his greatest skill set lies. And as it was, he turned in Kolasinac's cross, um, a positive contribution from the Bosnian, who had a another up-and-down day, um, and that ultimately was just about good enough to be the winner, despite a late flurry of minor heart scares at the end of the game, including Bournemouth hitting the woodwork and a couple other close opportunities. Was it a great performance? Mm, not really. Was it convincing? Certainly not. Was it a very welcome win, particularly with really big games on the horizon? Definitely. Particularly with our next opponents in the league, Spurs basically tearing Chelsea various new orifices. It's uh, vital that Arsenal manage to get points to stay close to the, the pack in this game. Um, and of course a win away at Bournemouth is something that most of the big teams seem to do but is not a result to be sniffed at because they will take points off, off other good teams at some stage before the season ends. Um, if they were a little bit better defensively Bournemouth they'd be a real danger. Um, Eddie Howe's doing sterling work there it has to be said. Um, looking at the Arsenal performance itself in specifics, I mean defensively we weren't entirely convincing once again. Um, Rob Holding was uh, shunted slightly wider, as was Mustafi, as we curiously went to a back three, stroke back five, depending on what you want to call it. Now, there's a few theories about this. I mean, was it that the manager was playing that simply because Kolasinac is defensively <laughs> incompetent as a left-back, but is quite good going forward as a left-wing-back? Or was it also as a specific uh, alteration to try and counter the threat of Bournemouth's uh, pacey and physical front line? Um, I guess only the manager would, would know that one. Uh, both seem entirely plausible. And of course it's great to see the fact that the back three worked rather better in this game than it did in the aborted European fixture earlier in the season. Certainly the three individuals we had 
that combination of defenders lends itself quite well to a back three as Mustafi is obviously comfortable on the ball and is not so bad in wider areas and, and Holding has, has proved himself as perfectly comfortable in those in that position before. And of course it allowed um, Bellerin and Kalasinac to push on, which ultimately led to their counter-attacking goal as neither was able to get back into position, particularly the puffing Bosnian. But it did allow us to maximise their attacking potential, or at least come close to it. Um, Bellerin, as we've seen coming forward this season, has been really effective. But uh, Kalasinac, as we know, as I say, despite being defensively suspect, is always dangerous in the final third. And ultimately, he got an assist for the winner and, and got in a few other dangerous positions, even if some of his decision-making was a little bit lacking at his consistency in utilising the ball and getting it to teammates was, again, up and down. Elsewhere in the team, uh, there's a lot of, I suppose, six, seven out of ten performances, but not a lot of real standout games. Uh, Torreira looked a bit tired, particularly in the second half, which is unsurprising, given his zooming around everywhere for Uruguay and, and playing um, in both their fixtures. Um, Xhaka was decent again, but not one of his more dominating games. Uh, again, part of the formation change, I think, maybe have impacted upon that. It gave gave us slightly less control in terms of options in the central midfield which is always going to limit a player Ijaka's um, effectiveness it's his ability to spread the play and distribute to different areas and really kind of just find those little penetrating balls to someone in the hole which is his greatest strength um, you know although obviously us playing wing backs did give him some options there but those tend to lend themselves more to his sort of floaty, lengthy passes, which don't really speed up the tempo of the game. Looking further forward, uh, Iwobi was busy, in and out a lot, uh, involved a lot, played a wonderful pass to put um, Kolasinac through for what became our winning goal, but equally was slightly at fault, losing the ball in a, with lots of teammates upfield for... Bournemouth equaliser so a bit of an up and down day for Iwobi and perhaps not quite hitting the same heights as we saw at the very start of the season under United Marie but I think given the way we were trying to play justified his selection and was always involved and busy which is I suppose what you want to see from a player like Iwobi. Elsewhere I've seen Henrik Mkhitaryan take absolute pelters for his performance which I think is a little harsh um, he did feel slightly caught between two stools. As he, was he trying to be a number 10 or was he trying to be an inside forward or was he trying to play just as an advanced right sort of midfielder? And he was trying to do all three. Um, it's true that his finishing in the game and some of his final passing was wasteful and wayward, but I thought that his endeavour levels were pretty good and that he was trying to make things happen. Um, it's certainly true that he is not at the peak of his powers at the moment and like so many of the team, isn't quite sure exactly what's expected of him or how best to fit into it. But, um, yeah, I thought his performance was a bit more of a 6 out of 10 than some of the massively critical observations I think have been made of him. Um, Yang, as uh, outlined, put in a sort of typical Yang performance, really, which is not very convincing for quite large portions of the game, very wasteful at times in certain situations, but... Ultimately, he scored the winning goal, and that's what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang does. He, uh, you know, people who have seen him a lot for Dortmund would have seen him. He'd miss his chances, and he, his involvement in build-up play is somewhat erratic. 
but the guy is a goal scorer. And if you can put the ball in positions where he can attack it, uh, particularly in and around the 18-yard box, you know, he's going to get you goals just because his movement and his ex- and his short acceleration is so fantastic that it allows him to get many more chances than other strikers. He's, he's sort of like a slightly better version of peak Andy Cole, a striker that was wasteful at times, but, you know, <laughs> scored 30 goals a season on more than one occasion, um, which you cannot sniff at. Uh, the rest of the team, I suppose, you know, but Bert Leno had another good performance, uh, relatively drama-free from him and some excellent saves. He really is doing his best to cement his role as the number one goalkeeper at the club. Um and right now, for Petr Cech, it looks like it could be a long way back unless Leno gets injured, which which relates to a sort of broader issue about wages and finances at the club, which we'll touch on shortly. I mean, in terms of the substitutions, none of them really had enough time to really impact the game, so they uh, they did their jobs and, and certainly were needed, particularly, as I said, Torreira was looking very tired and they didn't... You know the substitutions didn't improve the way we were playing, but we just needed the legs, um, and we're going to see. I imagine more of that in the coming weeks with the fixtures piling up, um, depending on who has to make an appearance in the Vosklar fixture, fixture which we'll touch on in due course. All in all, uh, a positive outcome to a, a not convincing performance, which sounds like so much of the season so far. Uh, it's hard to say that the Arsenal team are really playing significantly better than they were after Ars- under Arsene Wenger last season, but Unai Emery has managed to make them slightly more efficient in terms of what they're achieving with those efforts and also make them more workmanlike and certainly they seem less likely to wilt under pressure, um, particularly away from home. And of course, already this season, we've won more away fixtures in all competitions than we did for the entirety of last season, despite the fact that we played, obviously, a number of games in easy European competition. Certainly in terms of league results, um, our away form is a lot better. Our home form hasn't been totally convincing, but we'll have to see how that pans out. Uh, obviously, we've got rather big home fixture just on the horizon against a, a resurgent Spurs, who typically have just started finding their form just in time for the North London derby and also typically seem to be getting at least one refereeing decision given in their favour in erroneously in every game. Um, the usual Spurs thing of getting penalties that aren't and not giving, getting cast-iron penalties given against them seems to be continuing. I mean, Eden Hazard had a soft one against uh, for Chelsea not given, but he also had a cast-iron one not given in the same game. Um, but that's Spurs for you who seem to have be the darlings of the media and the darlings of the officials at the moment. We shall see how that pans out with the uh, appointment for the North London derby of Mike Dean, who, of course, we have lots of previous with, including against Spurs. The funny thing is, of course, is Spurs Spurs fans hate Mike Dean as well and uh, uh, convince themselves it's a conspiracy against them. But, I mean, a little bit of a, a statistical thing... Uh, in 38 Arsenal matches, uh, Mike Dean has given Arsenal one penalty. That's it. 3% of all fixtures, which is uh, five times less than has been the case for Spurs and seven times less than it has been for City, Chelsea or Man United. So certainly uh, Spurs do complain about such things. 
um, but they've got no right to, uh, particularly as the, the equal statistic is that Arsenal have had uh, just as many penalties given against them by Mike Dean as any other opponent. Uh, also, uh, well, let's just say, Arsenal suffered slightly greater result of red cards with Mike Dean as well. So we've got all that to look forward to. So no matter how much Spurs fans complain about him, uh, it's been much, much, much worse for Arsenal. Particularly Spurs have benefited a lot from red cards given against their opponents by Mike Dean. So we just have to hope that last season's uh, slight change in form of Mike Dean not trying to fuck us at every opportunity uh, continues. Obviously, as you can probably tell by me talking about Mike Dean and the referees and Spurs' recent form, I'm a bit worried about this game. Spurs were very, very good against Chelsea, although Chelsea's uh, tactic of playing N'Golo Kante further upfield and then uh, sitting Jorginho deeper and expecting him to cope against a, a pacey and physical Spurs attacking team uh, was akin to Arsenal relying entirely on Granit Xhaka for their entire defensive structure last season. Only at least Granit Xhaka is quite physical, whereas Jorginho, despite being an excellent passer, is not that. Um, but well, yeah, the one of saving grace is we are at home and Spurs' record at uh, the Arsenal ground, the Emirates, and before that at Highbury is pretty piss poor. So hopefully we can get a result and, and maybe even a win. I mean, maybe it depends partly on who's fit. Um, Lacazette's got a minor groin tweak. We're waiting to see what's happening. Uh, Nacho's not going to be back. Um, and Koscielny has obviously just come back into the under-23s team, so will not be fit. Uh, on that, Koscielny played one half the under-23s, which has been reported as Koscielny's return in 5-0 thrashing. And, of course, Koscielny did start the game, although he came off at half-time with Arsenal having conceded a goal on the other side of the defence. Uh, and then in the second half, Arsenal then conceded four further goals without scoring away at Derby County. Uh, the reasons for this are several. Firstly, quite a number of the mainstays in the under-23s weren't playing because they're going to be going to the Ukraine in the middle of a war zone for our Europa League tie. So we put out a very young and very inexperienced and, shall we say, quite weak under-23 team. But also Arsenal managed to have two players sent off, including... Uh, the player who came on for Koscielny, Jesse Osutete, and um, Ballard also got a red card for a dangerous tackle. Um, also, there's another game in which we considered a penalty. Um, this one, I think, was a penalty, although quite often in under-23s football, the refereeing is a diabolical standard, and uh, you see penalties and cards given in very strange circumstances. Indeed, uh, it's not been such a great week for the youth groups with the Arsenal under-18s losing 3-2 at the Spurs under-18s, which is better than the 9-0 they suffered last season when they put out a team of 15-year-olds. Um, but it was a game that Arsenal should have won. Uh, they were very unlucky to concede a fluke goal in there and managed to miss two penalties with two different penalty takers. So all in all, it's been a frustrating week for the youth groups and both have now dropped down their respective tables to sort of, I suppose, Europa League positions. But bar the top teams, they're all very tight um, and a couple of good results will see them surge back up those tables. Uh, elsewhere, of course, the women keep on rolling on. Uh, another very convincing victory, 4-1 against Brighton this week. Despite the fact that they are rapidly running out of players, the team is still playing brilliantly. Um, you know, some of the some of the uh, imports from overseas, uh, 
Vivian Miedemar keeps scoring Daniel van der Donk and Dominique Bloodworth who was Dominique Janssen I think before but uh, has married someone called Bloodworth so there we go um, so we are we have a sort of Dutch contingent and they're doing doing very well uh, along with the rest of the team um, and yeah let's them keep running on they've got a really big fixture coming up against Man City who are their primary challenges for the league title um, and if they can get out of that game without a defeat then they can feel quite confident of going on to win the league um, the difficulty being as I've said before they're a number of their key players are have now long term injuries and uh you know, there's 16, 17, 18-year-olds having to come off the bench and, and, and make up the numbers in games just because they don't have enough senior players. Um, so it's, yeah, injury crisis, ahoy. Even some of their more recent signings have also picked up injuries, so we'll have to see what happens there. But it looks like at least there's a genuine title challenge and, and at the moment they're in the driving seat, so fingers crossed for that. Elsewhere, uh, away from uh, the ladies and the kids, uh, I've in- enjoyed the headlines this morning of some of ma- people making uh, the tabloids making dramatic headlines about uh, a crucial behind-the-scenes man uh, announcing his exit. Uh, and this was picked up by about four or five different news outlets with various different inflammatory headlines. And of course, it turns out that the uh, the head groundsman is leaving. Um, previously been assistant groundsman and had been promoted to head groundsman and he's leaving after 13 years Uh, well earth shattering I mean I'm sure they won't be able to find anyone else that can look after the you know the grass in the stadium Um, a stadium that is purpose built to try and ensure that the grass is easy to look after yeah I'm sure there's lots of people who specialise in that profession who are very capable indeed and Arsenal shall we say are a big draw in terms of such matters uh, also in light hearted news uh, there was uh, Fabianski and Szczesny were interviewed in Polish I think it was Polish TV yeah um, or was it a Polish radio either way there was a bit of a video going and um, but both of them were, ba- were basically massively slagging off uh, former goalkeeping coach Jerry Payton who, uh, let's face it, most Arsenal fans who follow such things had come to the conclusion that he wasn't up to snuff, and certainly some of their descriptions, light-hearted though they were, of what he was doing in terms of coaching were damning, to say the least. Uh, Basically, uh, it sounds like he was an awful communicator and um, was determined to keep trying to bring Chesney down a peg or two, even when it wasn't helpful to do so. Um, Yeah, either way... That situation has changed, and certainly given by the goalkeeping performances we've seen from our players this season, perhaps it has changed for the better. Um, lovely little story that came up as apparently Pierre Emerick Aubameyang was given a tour of the Spurs training ground uh, back in 2012 during Villas Boas times when he was, before he moved to Dortmund, and they decided not to sign him. Basically, they had some talks and then never spoke to him again. And so they didn't just not sign him, they just didn't deal with him very professionally. So he should be certainly motivated and uh, ready to put the boot in, so to speak. The only other thing I really wanted to touch on is the fact, uh, and that's almost a heartwarming story, which is the return to fitness of Santi Gazzola, um, who got two assists for Villarreal last week and... 
he's not really able to complete 90 minutes that often but he is a fixture in their team and is creating chances and goals and despite not being as mobile as he was in previous years is showing his class and recent interviews have suggested he's going through a lot of pain to achieve this but he seems to have his love again and is uh, performing at a very high level um, before anyone suggests that we should have kept him and uh, particularly after sticking by him when he was injured it's fair to say that the level he's playing at in Spain and his role is not one which is would be the same as the physical intensity of the Premier League um, there's no doubt that he would be one of our most talented players in our squad where he's still at the, t- at the club uh, even if he could only play games here and there but in, whether he could cope with just the physical demands of the Premier League having to run faster, longer, further um, and harder than you would in any other league in, in Europe um, except perhaps Scotland but that's a rather low level um, remains to be seen I think we can all just rejoice in the fact that he's back and back to fitness and enjoying his football again as someone who brought us all a massive amount of pleasure both with the way he played and what he was able to give to the team um, but also just his uh, approach and personality and style with which he he attempted to play uh, a really beautiful footballer and one that had he not hit his injuries when he did Arsenal Arsenal probably would have won the league and stopped Leicester's fairy tale from ever existing. <laughs> so you can decide amongst yourselves whether that's a good thing or not. The only other thing to do is to look forward to our fixture on Thursday against Vorskla, uh, a team that obviously most of us had never heard of until fairly recently. Vorskla Poldova, uh, which has uh, been hamstrung for the fans, at least, uh, because the fixture has been moved from Poldova to Kiev, which is about 200 miles away. And, of course, a number of fans have already gone to Poldava, having already been previously to Kiev, and we're quite looking forward to the chance to see uh, a different part of the Ukraine. Of course, this is due to the political tensions uh, with Russia over the Ukrainian ships in Crimea, um, and as a result of the martial law being imposed. So... Mm, um, either way, uh, one of the uh, yeah number of supporters have found themselves in Poltava and are now having to make a trip back to Kiev. Certainly, the Arsenal Independent Supporters Association members have commented on it and uh, have said how safe it all seems in Poltava. Um, I can understand their frustration, having spent all that money, but. The, the, the fact is, if there's any risk of danger, you want to make sure that uh, the majority of the supporters going to the game, and of course the players on both teams, can feel safe. From an Arsenal perspective, it's probably quite welcome, actually, in terms of the players, because that means they can just go direct to Kiev and not have to sit on a bus for four hours, whatever it was going to be. So it's going to make the trip rather less draining, um, or at least a little less draining for the players than it was originally feared to be. She was probably just as well, given that we might have to see a few more senior faces than we'd hoped. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a great opportunity for players like Eddie Nketiah, potentially Joe Willock, Emil Smithrow, Anthony Maitland-Niles, and one or two other of the younger players, possibly on the bench, to get some game time. Um, one assumes we'll see Jenkinson again, this time at right-back with Licksteiner injured. We may have to see Kolasinac again at left-back, or maybe a young player... Um, maybe Bowler or even Dominic Thompson might get a look out um, who knows um, certainly I think we can guess half the team Petr Cech will, will start in goal one assumes um, with 
I mean, personally, I'd just have him Martinez on the bench and not make Leno travel. Um, you're going to see Jenkinson. I mean, looking at the defenders, we've got fits. They kind of pick themselves because we just don't have any other fit central defenders unless the manager wants to take another risk on uh, Pegasuelo, which might be worth doing, but it almost assumes the senior defenders will travel. Um, Genduzi will obviously start. Um, Ramsey will play, whether it's in that deeper role or slightly further forward remains to be seen. We may even see Ozil start, or the manager might choose to rest him in, and if he's planning to use him from the start on Sunday. Uh, certainly the team selection will tell us quite a lot about Sunday's game. And as I say, yes, we'll be surrounded by a smattering of young players who will be looking to make an impact. Um, with a few injuries, the Arsenal squad isn't as deep as it might otherwise be. And frankly... Uh, with the number of those younger players also t- already taking up senior positions in the squad. Um, this is not the most numerous Arsenal squad in recent years, so we're going to see a mixture of youngsters and of senior players. Um, uh, from what we've seen in Forskar, they do hold a threat, they do provide a threat. They scored, obviously, late on in the game against Arsenal uh, at the Emirates, Um but if we play a controlled style, we should have too much for them. It's all about the players retaining their composure under pressure and making sure that we've got a solid defensive platform to let the younger players then have an impact uh, up front. I'm really hoping that Eddie Nketiah gets a start and certainly grabs a goal. Um, I think it would do wonders for him and I think it would really allow us to feel more confident about about our options and what to do about dealing with the Danny Welbeck injury situation. Um, rather than feeling pressured to buy someone that we're not sure about in January. Better to keep our powder dry uh, if we're not totally convinced than to ration in buying someone as a stopgap. And I'm sounding quite v- Wenger <laughs> uh, philosophy there, but uh, I think given what's come out this week about the financial restrictions being on Arsenal being so great due to the lack of Champions League football and due to the high wage bill and due to the frankly crap development of our commercial growth under even Gazidis' tenure. Um, it does look like we're going to have a pretty small transfer budget this summer unless there's departures. And even so, some of those departures are like to be on the free transfers, so our wage bill will reduce. But uh, where we're going to find money to invest in the squad remains to be seen. Uh, it's ridiculous, really, that we moved to the Emirates Stadium primarily as a way of being able to compete with Europe's elite. But then uh, the rivals of Chelsea and Man City and PSG and all the other lovely Russian Middle Eastern cash, which is not at all about (laughs) money laundering or propping up bankrupt regimes or (laughs) justifying human rights abuses, all those lovely things uh, have completely inflated the financial market so that what was, as a part of a linear progression, very successful long-term planning by Arsenal has now become totally invalidated by the fact that uh, wages have almost tripled in that time. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Anyway, uh, enough doom and gloom. Uh, Let's hope we can come out of the Vorska game unscathed with a few goals and let's more importantly hope that on Sunday we're able to put out a strong team and do ourselves justice against Spurs. We do know that we have the quality to beat them. The question is, is how they turn up on the day. If you can't motivate yourself to play against the old enemy, who can you motivate yourself to play against? Right, on that note, I shall wish you all a good week, and let's hope that this time next week, we're two competitions, three points richer in each. Cheerio!